0: In April 1983, on a Sunday night in the small town of Creston, Iowa, a local high school senior left her home and made her way to the local laundromat. After finishing her laundry and leaving, the young woman fails to return home. A little over a year later, her remains are found fairly close to home. 39 years later, the young woman's family are still searching for answers on what happened to her. This is The Disappearance and Murder of Corinne Perry. Today I will be covering the case of Corinne Perry. Corinne was 17 years old and a high school senior at Creston High School located in Creston, Iowa. Creston is a small town whose population in 1983 was just shy of 9,000. Corinne was just one month away from graduation and she had plans to attend Simpson College in the fall. Simpson College is a private college in Indianola, Iowa, which is about an hour away from Creston. Corinne was talented, smart, outgoing, and beautiful. Corinne was without a doubt a talented young actress and had dreams of acting as a career someday. About a year earlier, she had received a first place award from Simpson College for a reading from a play called Veronica's Room. But Corinne didn't stop there. She was also a member of her high school's MIME group, which I have to say was probably one of the neatest things I've ever heard. To make her future dreams a reality corinne decided to major in acting in college but she set the bar high for herself and had decided to major in psychology as well corinne was the youngest of four daughters to parents don and barbara perry don and barbara had divorced a couple years earlier barbara was living in creston and don was living nearby in kent on sunday april 17th corinne left her home in creston in the family car and made her way to the Highlander, which was a coin-operated laundromat in town located just off of Highway 34. The laundromat setup had all the washers in one room and all the dryers located in a separate room. Corinne arrived just after 6 p.m., washed and dried her clothes, and then left sometime between 8.30 and 9 p.m. Leticia, Corinne's older sister, who was 19 at the time, was living on her own and was attending Southwestern Community College in Creston but on this particular day, she had been at her mother's house visiting her and Corinne. Meanwhile, while Barbara and Leticia are home waiting for Corinne to come back, she doesn't show up. As the clock ticks by, Corinne's mother and sister become more and more concerned. Barbara didn't waste any time and began to call friends and family looking for her daughter, hoping that she had just been driving around town, maybe visiting with her friends or running a few errands but with every call she made, she got the same answer. No one had seen Corinne. Just before midnight, Barbara couldn't wait anymore. There was no reason for her daughter not to be home. So she called the police to report Corinne missing. Sadly, Barbara was unsuccessful with getting police involved at this point. She had no choice but to wait the required 72 hours from the last time she saw her daughter before police would even consider taking action. According to an interview Letitia did with Dateline NBC, the police expressed to her and Barbara that they strongly believed Corinne was just a runaway and a lot of teenagers usually take off and show back up at home within a couple of days. According to Barbara, this made no sense. Not only had Corinne never run away before, but she was excited and looking forward to the future. She was ready to graduate and head off to college and pursue her dreams. Well, the next morning, Creston Police Department actually receives information regarding Corinne, but it wasn't that Corinne was home safe and sound. Instead, it was discovered that the family car Corinne had been driving had been located. To everyone's surprise, the car that Corinne was last known to be driving was found, and it was still parked outside the Highlander laundromat. Upon closer inspection of the vehicle and its contents, the laundry Corinne had taken with her that night was neatly folded and lying on the front passenger seat, but there was no sign of Corinne. Over the next several days, family and friends anxiously wait, hoping for Corinne to return, but hear nothing. So after three agonizing days, Corinne is finally updated in police's database as a missing person. Police then began their investigation and interviewed at least three witnesses who were at the Highlander that Sunday night, and they confirmed that they saw Corinne there doing her laundry. From the eyewitness accounts provided to police, Corinne arrived at the laundromat at 6.10 p.m. and left sometime between 8.30 and 9.00 p.m. The one thing that was consistent among the witnesses was that they had seen a man they did not recognize in the dryer room with Corinne. They did not notice any interactions between the two, but were still able to give a pretty detailed description of the man that they saw. He was described as a man in his early to mid twenties, about six feet tall, a medium build and light brown medium length hair. He was wearing aviator style glasses that had light colored plastic rims and he was wearing a tan jacket. Witnesses also told police that his face was shaved. I'm not entirely sure why that information would be relevant other than to rule out the possibility of the man being a transient. People there noticed that when Corinne left with her laundry, he left immediately after carrying a cardboard box with his laundry inside. There was never a composite sketch made of him, though. Instead, police decided to release his description to the public and urged him to come forward as a witness, not as a suspect. Many people found it to be odd that no one was able to identify him, but during that time there were several motels along Highway 34 near the Highlander, and it was the main highway through Creston. Also, if you leave Creston traveling on Highway 34 and drive east about 30 miles, it will take you directly to Interstate 35. I-35 runs north and south and at the most northern point starts in Duluth, Minnesota, and runs all the way down to Laredo, Texas, which is near the Mexico border. Sadly, the location of the laundromat and the time of day may have made it very easy for a predator to hide in plain sight and leave just as quickly and discreetly as he arrived. Is it possible that the man witnesses saw had nothing to do with Corinne's disappearance and was just traveling through the area? Or did he have everything to do with it? Unfortunately, we may never know because to this day, the unknown man witnesses described seeing has never come forward or been identified. Eight days after Corinne disappeared on April 25th, police decide to take the information received and release it to the public. At the time Corinne disappeared, she was described as having brown hair and gray eyes. She was five feet, seven inches tall and about 110 pounds. A couple of days after the article was released, Corinne's father, Don, received a mysterious and disturbing phone call. He was dozing off to sleep when the phone rang. He picked it up and heard a woman's voice on the other end. All the woman said was, Corinne is nine miles north of Osceola and hung up. What Don noticed from that call was that Corinne always had slight trouble when she was younger with her speech, more specifically pronunciation of the letter R, and so did the woman on the phone but because Don was woken up by the call, he couldn't know for sure if it was Corinne's voice he had heard. The police searched the area extensively that was described by the woman, but came up empty handed. It is worth mentioning that Osceola is 33 miles east of Creston and is a straight shot from Creston traveling on Highway 34 and is only a few miles east of Interstate 35. Then on April 28th, three days after the release of the news article, about Corinne, the police get news that something else belonging to Corinne had been found. An unnamed person had come forward with a purse that they had found on a bridge between the towns of Kent and Lennox. They informed police they had found it on Sunday, April 17th around 11.30 pm, the same night Corinne failed to return home. This unnamed individual had taken it and didn't realize its significance until they had read the newspaper article that Corinne was missing. The purse was confirmed to be Corinne's and still contained her driver's license, a telephone credit card, her makeup, and her glasses. A few things caught the attention of law enforcement and the family as well. First, that the glass items in the purse, like the glasses and makeup, were not broken. So it had been theorized that the purse may have been set down where it was found rather than being thrown or tossed from a vehicle, for example. And Corinne's mother insisted that Corinne's glasses were a necessity, and if she had gone more than 30 minutes without wearing them, she would develop a very severe headache. Corinne's mother confirmed that she did not have a second pair of glasses. The only ones she had were found in her abandoned purse. Letitia emphasized how Corinne took a lot of pride in her appearance and never went anywhere without her makeup or wearing it. And it wasn't just what was found with the purse that concerned the family, but it was also what was missing. Corinne always kept pictures of her friends with her, as the pictures were something that she cherished, but they were gone. Corinne's family still held out hope, but knew without a doubt that Corinne didn't run away from home, It was finally at this point, once the purse was found, 11 days after Corinne vanished, that police finally suspected foul play in her disappearance. To this day, the individual who found and turned in Corinne's purse to law enforcement has not been named, but was said to be cleared by police as a suspect in the case. The bridge where Corinne's purse was found was located about seven miles away from the laundromat and crossed the Platte River. Leticia told Dateline NBC that it would have been odd for Corinne to be traveling to see her dad after 9 p.m. on a Sunday night, but more importantly, that she definitely wouldn't have done so without her car. Law enforcement and the family began extensive searches and had searched the area by the river on three separate occasions. They also drove through miles of back roads, checked ditches, and empty buildings, but never found any sign of Corinne, during the searches, Don wanted to get Corinne's picture circulated in the public as much as he could, so he handed out clippings of the newspaper that included Corinne's picture to anyone that would take one, hoping someone would know something or hoping that Corinne would turn up. A few weeks after Crin's disappearance, Gerald Shanahan, who at the time was the chief of the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, or IDCI, announced a reward of $2,500 being offered by the family through a local church. They had hoped giving a monetary award would convince someone to come forward with new information. Then, a little over two weeks later, which was about a month after Corinne went missing, Iowa Governor Terry Branstad announced that Iowa will now allow missing persons reports to be filed immediately if foul play is suspected, removing the required 72-hour wait the police had been abiding by until that time. As the weeks go by and Corinne's family are still left with more questions than answers, Corinne's father places an ad in the Des Moines Register on August 21st of 1983, which was one week before Corinne's 18th birthday. It read, Corinne, happy birthday. Then underneath that was a message which read, love you and am concerned for you. Let me know something if you can, your dad in Kent. Weeks go by, then months, without any new information of Corinne's whereabouts or what happened to her. Then, about a year and a half later, on September 17th, 1984, Barbara was woken up by a call from a man who claimed to have seen Corinne. According to Barbara, he had asked to speak with Corinne. Barbara told him that she wasn't there, and then Barbara asked him how he knew her. He had stated that he had seen Corinne within the last couple of days in Creston and immediately hung up. Barbara reported this call to police, but sadly, the puzzling phone call gave them no new leads to pursue. After the phone call, things became quiet until November 4th, less than two months later, the town of Creston and Corinne's family received devastating news. A body had been found near the Platte River. Authorities confirmed to Dateline NBC that two teenagers out hunting came across a skull and bones scattered in a creek bed in a shallow grave along the Platte River. The area was heavily wooded and about 100 yards away from an abandoned railroad track and about one mile from the bridge where Corinne's purse had been found. The remains were confirmed to be those of Corinne Perry after comparison of her dental records, which was done the same day her remains had been found. Law enforcement were able to recover a skull, hip, leg, and neck bones from the search. Due to the decomposition, the medical examiner was unable to determine a cause of death, but based on the manner in which her remains were discovered, there was no doubt she had been murdered. There were a few conflicting reports as to whether clothing was found with the bones, so we have to leave that as an unknown at this point, and it has never been made public if any additional DNA evidence was ever found and collected. The location of Corinne's body begs the question of how and why Corinne's purse was found in the location and shape it was in. Is it possible that Corinne herself set her purse there as a clue in hopes it would lead people to find her? And is it likely that she was killed and left there the same day she disappeared? Now you're probably asking yourself the same question I was, which was if it was likely that Corinne had been there the entire time, how could the searchers have missed her? Well, according to Letitia, on the multiple searches they conducted of that area, they spent all their efforts searching downriver, thinking if Corinne had gone in the water based on the flow of the river, they would have found her downstream. Corinne's remains were actually found upriver. So sadly, the location of Corinne's remains had never actually been searched. After years and literally decades of investigation with very few clues and even fewer leads, police had conducted over 200 interviews, but there had never been any actual names released to the public as a suspect or a person of interest in Corinne's disappearance or murder. That is until 28 years later in 2011. The family received a tip about a man named Jeffrey Moreland who had recently been charged with the sexual assault and murder of multiple women in the Missouri area. Moreland was a former police officer with the Grandview Police Department, but had recently retired in 2005. A woman who had stated she was sexually assaulted by Moreland came forward and agreed to a rape kit. Police were able to obtain a DNA sample and that sample was a match to Moreland. Furthermore, that sample was also a DNA match to two unsolved homicides, one from the 2008 murder of 30-year-old Kara Jo Roberts. Kara was found in the bathtub of her home with a gunshot wound to the head. The second was the 2010 murder of 75-year-old Nina Whitley. Nina had been found at the bottom of a staircase in her home and her cause of death was ruled as strangulation. Now you may be asking, what does any of this have to do with Corinne? Well, at the time of Corinne's murder, Jeffrey Moreland, who would have been in his mid-20s at the time, was a police officer in Afton, Iowa, which was only about 10 miles away from Creston. So the question is, are Kara Roberts and Nina Whitley Moreland's only victims? Could there be others out there that can't be linked due to lack of DNA or forensic evidence, including Corinne Perry? Law enforcement has stated that they have thoroughly investigated any connections to Moreland being responsible for the death of Corinne and have found no evidence yet to suggest a connection. Corinne's father passed away in 2001 and her mother passed away in 2017. Corinne's sister Leticia continues to fight to keep Corinne's name in the media in hopes that someday she will see the person who took her sister's life brought to justice. It has been almost 39 years since the tragic death of Corinne Perry and the family still has no answers. Leticia runs a Facebook page in her little sister's honor to keep her memory alive. Today, Corinne would have been 56 years old, and the possibilities of who she could have become and things she could have achieved are endless. All of these possibilities cut short because of the horrendous selfish actions of another. In a case that has gone this long unsolved, there is never any piece of information too small. So if you have any information regarding the death of Corinne Perry, please contact the IDCI at 515 725 6010 or the Creston Police Department at 641-782-8402. Thank you for listening to Secrets in the Cornfield. Tune in next week for a new episode. Secrets in the Cornfield is an Anchor original. You can find sources for this episode in the episode description. To help the families and provide a voice for the victims, please be sure to follow and share.